Welcome to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. We are informally debating issues that concern Zionists about life, culture, and politics in Israel. Welcome to the Massah Israel Conversation podcast, where we debate issues facing current Israeli and Zionist life. Today's debate is between, please introduce yourself, Matt. Good afternoon. I'm Matthew Lippmann. I am a teacher for Massah Israel programs, and I'm here to discuss and claim that it is possible to have a two-state solution. Kalev? My name is Kalev Bendor. I guess I'm also a teacher on the Massah Israel content, and I'm here to argue that two-state solution is not possible. Okay, so we're going to debate about whether the two-state solution is still a viability or not. It's an interesting time to do it. We're a day after the anniversary of November 29th. That was in 1947. Today we're recording this on November 30th. So it's a day after the partition plan. Is that plan, essentially you're debating, is that plan still viable or is it lost to history completely in order to resolve two people living on the land saying the whole land is theirs? Is that still the best way forward or not? Matt, you're taking the position that it still is. Kalev, you're taking the position that it's not. Now, what I would like you guys to do is, Matt, I'm going to give you five minutes for your opening statement. Kalev, I'm going to give you five minutes for opening statement. I'm going to give all of us 10 minutes to ask each other questions, but I, as the moderator, get to, you know, hands up, guys. I'm in charge, all right? No yelling over each other. I know you, and no, none of your British over-emotional yelling at each other and fisticuffs. I've had it with you, Brits. You're so, like, emotionally unleashed. So I'm going to give five minutes to each of you, then we'll do 10 minutes of debate, and then you'll get a closing statement. All right, Matt, you ready to go first? Yes, I am, Michael. Okay, you guys have been very quiet so far on the mic. I am going to count that in your favor. Well done. And you can go, Matt. Okay, so this is, I think, a very difficult position to argue, but I'm going to do my best to argue it. The two-state solution, I think we have to divide it into two different sections. There's the ideological slash theoretical idea behind it, and then there's the practicality of it. The practicality is the part that I think is most up for debate this afternoon. Mm Mm-hmm. The theoretical pieces, I think there has to be a two-state solution. There is no other possible option. So if we're going to say that necessity is the mother of invention, then we have to make it work. So how are we going to make it work and overcome many of the pragmatic problems while at the same time doing as least damage as possible to the status quo that we currently have in Israel? Meaning, I think one of the biggest problems I'm going to preempt what Kalev might say here is we have half a million Jews who are living in the West Bank. If we were going to say, let's just get rid of all of those half a million Jews and turn that entire area into a Palestinian state, in theory, that would give us two states. But of course, the practicality of that does not allow for that. We've seen with the uh, disengagement from Gaza, resettling 10,000 people and rehousing them and recreating their communities was extremely problematic. With half a million people, I think it would almost be beyond impossible. So instead, we have to try and understand other ways that it may be possible to have a two-state solution. Again, it has to happen, so how are we going to make it happen? I think the first thing that we have to think about is what is the Palestinian identity that they're trying to create. They want a, two, they want a state. They want their own state. Let's say, for example, the current way that the map looks, and we don't have a map in front of us, but we don't have contiguity. We don't have one block of Palestinian land within or Palestinian uh, conurbation within certain parts of the West Bank. That is something that would have to be worked on or compromised on, but I believe it can be compromised on. We could have some form of like pockets of Palestinian areas, which may be interspersed with the Jewish sections. Whether that would come under a separate government authority or not is is a different question to discuss. I think economically, there has to be steps to create a much more viable economic plan for the Palestinians. And I think that can definitely be done. Creating tech hubs, creating 
entrepreneurial programs for Palestinians, giving them the economic support and economic framework in which to create a state is possible, absolutely possible. And then we have to, again, we have to talk about logistically in terms of the map, what would that look like? And I believe that it's possible to create a situation where we have Palestinian cities and towns being run under one central authority, which would be the Palestinian Authority. Let's argue that for the second. And then within that area, we obviously we have set, we have Jewish settlements within Area C. I would argue that it's not possible to clear them out or to remove Jews from those most of those settlements. So how do we create that contiguity? That would require infrastructure. That would require a serious investment in infrastructure. But it can be done in order to create a contiguous Palestinian state that can be ruled with the Palestinians having self-determination in their own land. Okay, Matt did it in about three minutes. Now, for fairness, Kalev, do I have to leave you at a three-minute mark? Or can you do it in three? I don't like this um, kind of very specific on, on minutes, Mike. Okay, well, it's a debate format, so I have I to see. give you at least, I'll give you within five minutes. So I should be penalized because Matthew didn't utilize his time. That's really what you're saying. The anti-two-state solution position is being penalized. No, just, you're being rewarded. You're getting two extra minutes. Oh, I get two extra minutes. Yeah. I thought I had because, to copy because him. Because you're, no, I was just wondering if for the sake of fairness, you're willing to sacrifice it, but I see fairness is not on Kalev's agenda. No, I, so. I don't think compromise is, is in store. Okay. If you want, I can take another two minutes, but I feel like I said everything that was the, the, I think the it most was, important part. I think it was pithy and clear. Kalev, you're up. So I think Matthew took part of my arguments. I'm going to just take a little bit of Matthew's argument as well, just in the name of fairness. Yeah, there are 500,000 Jews living over the over the Green Line, over the Armistice Line. In fact, I actually think it's more. I think it's around 400-ish thousand in the West Bank and 200 and a bit thousand in East Jerusalem. But I also think that in all of the plans traditionally that were given, whether that was under Clinton or under Bush or even under Obama, generally there was, there was this feeling that a large number of Jews living over the Green Line could be incorporated into Israel with Israel keeping around 6 to 8 or 10% of the West Bank. So I don't think anyone is really talking about having to move all of these people out. You would probably, to have a classic two-state solution, I'm going to argue that that's not possible, but for a classic two-state solution, you might only, in inverted commas, because it's no small thing, have to move out around 80-ish thousand, or maybe that's kind of 15,000 families. Now, the argument would be that's not possible. And, and, and you brought up Gaza, and I'm also going to go towards Gaza, that if Israel struggled to rehouse eight to 10,000 people in an area that was not considered an integral part of the greater land of Israel, but it wasn't an integral part of our kind of historic and religious origins. And if we struggled to do that, then we will absolutely struggle to do anything more than that. But I think when looking at whether partition is possible, I think it's worth looking at three dates that convinced a lot of Israelis that partition is going to be super hard. The first is in 2000. The second is, is around kind of 2005 to 2007. And, and the third is in 2011. In 2000, Israel sits down with the Palestinians for final status negotiations at Camp David and subsequently in the December with the Clinton parameters, which are perhaps one of the most comprehensive ideas about how to partition the land. It gets rejected by the Palestinian side. At the same time, the Second Intifada has begun in the September. And that is a huge blow to people who believe that partition is going to be possible with the Palestinian national movement. 
So even if they believe the partition is preferable, they begin to feel that partition is going to be very hard to do. The second date revolves around, which, which both of us have mentioned already, the, the disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Israel withdraw around 8,000 Jews from Gaza and the Northern West Bank. It's a huge trauma. The Palestinian Authority take over, but within two years, Hamas has taken over. Hamas has thrown out the Palestinian Authority. And I would argue it's, it's really a death blow to the concept of unilateralism, but it's also a real blow to those who feel that withdrawal from territory will lead to more solid and secure security situation. Israel tried it in 2000 with Lebanon. It led to an Islamic fundamentalist organization, Hezbollah, taking over and having thousands of rockets facing towards Israel. And Israel did it in Gaza, and it led to an Islamic fundamentalist organization, Hamas, with thousands of rockets directed towards Israel's population centers. So that is another, even for people who say that the two-state solution is the ideal, it's a major blow to those who think it's possible. And, and, and the third date, around 2011, revolves around the, the so-called Arab Spring, which is when there's demonstrations all over the, the Arab world. It leads to the fall of dictators in lots of different countries, but it also leads to a lot of instability and a lot of civil wars, ongoing civil wars in Syria, in Libya, and in Yemen, huge instability in Lebanon, Jordan actually surprisingly stable, a mess in Iraq, unconnected to the Arab Spring, but Iran trying to go nuclear. And I think a lot of Israelis feel that even if they thought that a two-state solution was the ideal, this is not really a practical possibility in the short to medium term. Looking around the region, this is probably not the best time to try and create another Arab state that could easily become a failed state, a Hamas state, or even at best, an economically unviable and unstable state. If I think for people that want to understand why people think that uh, partition is not really practical at the moment, I think those three dates plus the number of Jews living on the other side of the green line are, are some of the major reasons why. Matt, you started off by saying that the, the major problem is that Jews would have to move out of uh, the area that under Palestinian control. Why? In your two-state solution, why can't the Jews stay put and either become citizens of Palestine or create a situation where they can have Israeli strongholds within Palestinian territory? Why does the Palestinian state... That, that seems very strange to me, to make a peace treaty that's ethnically cleansed of the people you're making peace with. It doesn't sound very peaceful. I would respond by saying, in that case, that strengthens the argument why a two-state solution is still possible. Because if you're going to say that part of the condition for it or part of the atmosphere it would create is where Jews can happily live within a Palestinian state. Well, no, I'm not statement. making it up hypothetically. In your scenario, you're saying practically, you know, there's a way we would have to do X, Y, Z. So let's We would have to create ways. I'm saying, is it even really practical... I mean, what you described sounded to me a lot like the Trump solution. You create this complicated infrastructure where the Jews maintain where they are, the Palestinians, and they all get around each other with these tunnels and bridges. Yes, but what I'm now taking on is maybe I misunderstood what your, your question was, but I, it sounded to me like the question was, well, why can't Jews just live there? Mm -hmm. So if we say, okay, great, then you could definitely have a two-state solution if Jews could continue to live in their communities there. That even strengthens the idea why you could have a two-state solution still. Because in the same way that French people can live in Germany or, or wherever, wherever people have borders and, and live in other countries over the border, why not? Makes sense. And you think that's practical? 
It depends how you define practical. Do I do I think that they would be terrorist problems? Yes, I do. Would you want to live there, Matthew? That's 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 really that's really the question. No, I would not want to live there, and I would not recommend it either to uh, <laughs> to my friends. But as you say, Mike, like if the, if we want to have, that, a we're test, not really talking about a peace treaty. We're talking about a two state solution, which is a separation with with very separate and somehow super duper security barriers because we don't trust each other. Well, so one of the things that Kalev was talking about when he was talking about the second intifada, we saw that. During that time, Israel built what they would call the security fence. Other people would call it a wall, a barrier, whatever you want to call it, separation. We'll go with security fence for now. And the efficacy of that was massive. It really reduced the amount of terrorism that was coming into Israel. So if you want to say that we need to, in order to have a two-state solution, we really have to separate, then it's been shown that that fence is uh, is effective. So deal of the century and build that wall. Okay, we've got Matt in full. <laughs> I'm wearing my Make America Great hat again. I'm not really. I was I'm not wondering really why. Yeah, Kalev. I think the obvious question to you the red is: Red looks very nice on you, Matthew. Yeah, I think it brings out it's good color for you. You look a little bit orange, but like that's okay. Like not your eyes, so we're okay. Kalev, my obvious question, I think, based on your presentation, is: So what do we do? I mean, if if the two state solution isn't a viable solution, you still have what six, seven million Jews, six, seven million Arabs, both believing that the land is completely theirs. How do we coexist, or do, or, or are you just advocating? Because the two states is impossible, we just stick to status quo, which is obviously terrible. So if you'll mind me re-quoting someone who, who's not in this room, Yossi Klein Halevi, who, who, who's a wonderful no, author. Hold on, you've quoted this before because you said re-quoting. I'm just being annoying. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just never heard that word, yeah. So Yossi, Yossi Klein Halevi, who's, who's uh, a wonderful author and, and analyst and, and speaker and, and... Zionist role model. Zionist role model, human being, mensch former Kahanist, all sorts of things, all sorts of things, <laughs> um, has said in the past that, that he has, and I think he, he speaks for a lot of I guess, self-defined Israeli centrists. And Yossi says he's got two nightmares. Nightmare number one is that a Palestinian state will be established. And that Palestinian state will end up being a, a failed state. It will become a terror state and it, it will provide huge security challenges to Israel. That very much is a nightmare. So what, what's the second nightmare? The second nightmare is that a Palestinian state will not be established. And in the absence of a Palestinian state, or in the absence of partition, or in the absence of a two-state solution, what we have is this kind of intermingling, this impossibility to separate between Jews and Palestinians, who, as you've noted, there are a similar-ish number of Jews and Arabs, or Jews and non-Jews, between the river and the sea, which very much, which absolutely, very much, absolutely puts into doubt the, the existence of a Jewish and democratic state. And I think sometimes when people in the West think about that type of model, they think, okay, so it'll, it'll be like Switzerland, you know, the Jews and the Arabs will, will, will kind of work it out. And I think for many Jews, we don't think about Switzerland, we think about Lebanon, or we think about the former Yugoslavia. So I'd say this, I think the, I think the left wing or, or, or the center left who, who are promoting partition really need to think about the major structural problems with implementing it whether that's because of Israeli maximalism or whether it's because of Palestinian maximalism or Palestinian rejectionism or the failure of at least three different rounds of serious negotiations or the idea that the maximum that Israel can, can offer is less than the minimum the Palestinians can accept, all of those arguments. And I think the Israeli right, who the idea of partition is anathema to them, need to think about basically your question. What do we do? What do we do in a situation where Israel is... The, the one entity in control of the river and the sea, 
And there are millions of Palestinians who don't want the Israelis there. And I think on the right, there are a number of ideas, none of which I'm particularly convinced have, have kind of long-lasting viability to them. But, but for me, that, that's the question. It, it's, it's, either, it's either the problems that come with partition or it's the problems that come with the absence of partition. So your answer to my question is basically, I despair. The two-stage solution is the only solution, but it won't work. My answer to your question was giving a whole spiel and hoping you wouldn't realize that I didn't actually yeah. answer your question. No, you didn't. You didn't at all. And you basically told me, give, abandon all hope, all ye who enter. Yeah, I, I, I totally heard that there was no other solution. And that's why I started my presentation by saying there has to be, right? Because there doesn't seem to be any other viable solution. And for all the arguments that we're making about why a two-state solution wouldn't work, it seems to be the best of a bad bunch. How about that? Or it has to be the best now, of a bad bunch. Do you each have a question for each other or should we just go to closing? You can ask each other a challenging question. I think you asked the question that sprang to my mind straight away as well. Okay. What, what is the best solution? Does that mean I did a good job as a moderator or a bad job as a moderator? That's our debate for today. Is Michael doing... No, just kidding. If, if the job of the moderator is to try to stay neutral... Then you did a terrible well, I tried job. to ask difficult <laughs> questions to each of you. I tried to, you know, which you did. Yeah, you that, you that asked us both difficult questions. In that case, I would say that you. But did. But that was the question. I stole your. I apologize for. Stealing no, no, no. Your I don't feel you stole my question. I think okay. it's. I think it's the most obvious question. It's not even an yeah, elephant yeah, yeah. in the room. It's just. There. Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, that's why. I, asked. I mean, I, I'm just. I'm just a bit shocked, Mike. After you went, after you played the ethnic cleansing card, mm -hmm. why you didn't go the whole way and play the Judenrein card? Because. I'm a you little, must have been tempted. I know my last name is Unterberg, but my German's a little rusty, and I just didn't think I could pull it off with the accent. Fair enough. Yeah. Do you have a question for Matt? And I've got a comment. Can Go I ahead. Have a comment. Yeah, yeah. I think there. I think there are there are a variety of right wing suggestions for what to do. And I, again, I think the argument of saying, "Listen, the Palestinian national movement." When Israeli Jews say "shtemim do not l'shnamim," two states for two peoples, Palestinians just say two states. They, they don't even say for two peoples because they they reject the idea that the Jews are a people, the Jews are a religion. Instead, well, they're basically implying that it should be two Arab states. Yes, you know, we'll have one Judenrein. There you go, saved you from doing it. Listen, I think there, are, I think there are a variety of of right wing suggestions. There are other arguments, kind of confederation, which in some ways takes, what are the two, I mean, there's many, but what are the really difficult issues about partition? The number of Jews who live over the Green Line and the issue of the, the so-called right of return of refugees or, or all of these refugees or their descendants who want to come back to Israel. And, and, and one way of doing that is to kind of have two entities um, that have soft borders in between and divorcing re citizenship and residency, which means that in theory, you can be you can be a Palestinian resident of Haifa, but that's not where you vote. And you can be a Jewish resident of Shiloh, but you're not a citizen there. And, and I think that there are these kind of creative ways that deal with the major structural problems of separating these two populations and, and trying to give some, some sort of... They, they have other problems. They, 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 they entail security issues. But there is an interesting way of distinguishing between citizenship and residency, which does solve some of the issues. But what I guess neither of us have, have really fully talked about is we, we've mentioned Gaza, is what to do about Hamas in Gaza. Then mm. we discussed kind of having a discussion before this discussion of one state, two state, three states. And the three state thing is, well, the West Bank and Gaza are geographically separated. 
there's no real Fatah and Hamas are ideologically separated. So in, in some ways, in, in both of our debate, I mean, I, I could ask Matthew a hard question, what do you want to do about Gaza? But Gaza also remains this issue that I think both the centre-left in Israel and the right-wing in Israel also don't have particularly good answers about. Yep. Matt, closing statement? I, I, I think what we've sort of explored here this afternoon is challenges. But again, we've also discussed the paucity of options. And I think when we look at what the different, uh, if we want to sort of take a look at the different political parties and the platforms, not that they really publish their platforms, but the sort of our understanding of what the parties represent, there's a whole bunch of different options that different politicians and different movements and groups want to propose. Most of them have serious um, logistical or practical problems, but it comes down to the fact that I really think that where there's a will, there's a way and and. If there and there needs to be a will, because otherwise the the, the one state solution, the three state solution, all those creative ideas that Kalev was talking about, I think are not the way forward because the two state solution. Again, I'm going to say it quite openly, but I think it's the best of a bad bunch, mm. and that's why it has to be viable. A bit like democracy, Matthew. Well, Churchill's view of democracy, as opposed to yes, or Churchill's quip about democracy. Yes. Yeah, Kalev, you're up. So I'm I'm not sure there's there's deep disagreement within this room over over the over the challenges. I think that whichever way one goes, whether that is towards partition uh, or away from partition, there there are significant practical and ideological challenges. What I what I would say, and this kind of links it back to cuffed up in November the 29th of November, firstly, that it's interesting that at that stage, uh, the majority of Israelis were very excited mm-hmm. about partition, but because. Because we have nothing. nothing. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Now we've got all of it. So why settle for half? Mm -hmm. But I think what's what's been lacking, there's this wonderful quote from Eshkol about, there's a couple of wonderful quotes from Eshkol, who also brought in, we talk about Germany, also used to love speaking in Yiddish, that, that after 67, Israel got this wonderful dowry but unfortunately, it came with a bride that we didn't particularly want. And the dowry is, is the land and the bride uh, are the people. And later, Eshkol goes to, to the US. And, and he was the prime minister during 67. Eshkol is the prime minister yeah. during 67. And he goes to meet with... With Johnson, it would have been. With President Johnson. Of course, I, I remembered that. And I didn't yeah. need to ask Mike who it was. I knew it wasn't Nixon. But I, anyway, of course, I knew that. And Eshkol says, I hope you are going to continue to support Israel. And Johnson says... What type of Israel do you want me to be supporting? What are the borders of this Israel? And Eshkol can't answer. And I think in some ways, Israel never really decided what it wanted to do with that dowry and that bride. And I think 55 years on, it still hasn't decided. And what we're really missing is is a vision, is a North Star. What do we want? Do we want one state? Fine. So, So start doing policies, maybe this government will, towards one state. Do we want partition? Fine, start making uh, efforts towards partition. But but what's been often lacking amongst most governments is is that answer to Johnson. What do we want? And after we've decided what we want, then everything else comes with it. But we are yet to decide. And I think the reason we're yet to decide is because whatever we decide ends up having huge emotional and practical costs and will not necessarily even lead to peace and quiet. And I think that that's part of the dilemma. I think so too. I think uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to come up with a way to have online 
voting for which side was was more persuasive. But I will just say in wrapping up that that you both sort of have touched on the the problem, which is uh, first of all, the word solution is a strange word. If two states or or one state or some other idea, but I don't know why we keep using the word solution because what we're talking about is still an absence of peace. We're still all both of you assumed from the get-go and throughout that the Palestinians are not really interested in living side by side. And so we're we're looking for a way to change the status quo without solving the basic problem, which is that you still have two people and they're not agreeing to live side by side, whatever the proportions are in those societies. So to a certain extent, that's why we live in the status quo. I think Kalev's point is why this discussion matters. Now, we should at least have, perhaps in our own heads, in our own vision of what we think Israel should be, to answer Johnson's question. We should each be able to answer President Johnson, at least in our own head, even though practically, I don't think any of us are looking at any real implementation. I, I would argue that you kind of can't until both sides really do want to live in peace and acknowledge each other's right to exist. I don't know. I don't know. That That's sort of just my two cents, I guess, not only as moderator, but as a person who thinks about stuff. Well, that's a nice way to end a podcast. <laughs> Pessimistically? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 do think, I do think that we are very bad at imagining what the future will be. We imagine the future to be like the present, but later, and it isn't. There are going to be drastic changes that we can't predict, and so eventually the field will change very differently. When when Herzl was working to get an international charter for a Jewish state, it was absolutely impossible, and he died with achieving really zero success. And then a little over a decade after his death, Britain and its allies all agreed to for the international permission of the Jews to rebuild a homeland in Palestine. So it was just a little over a decade later, Herzl's dream was entirely possible because there was this huge global shift in events. So that's a much nicer way of ending. Thank you. Let's end with that. Thank you. Let's Bring end with that. Over. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for ways to vote. Thank you, Matt. My pleasure. Nice to be back and have these uh, enlightening conversations with you both. Here's hoping. Thank you, Kalev. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. Keep tuning in for this season of Massa's Israel Conversation. You've been listening to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. In everything we do, we hope to connect our fellows to Israel as home, that our Massah fellows will feel at home in Israel and understand more about Israel in all of its diversity. We connect our fellows to Jewish peoplehood, to feel an affinity for Judaism and a sense of belonging to the Jewish people, and the connection is active and meaningful in their lives. And finally, personal development. And in the case of this podcast, our goal is that you'll be able to use the tools and learning for reflection and future development in conversations about Israel and Judaism. If this episode is meaningful to you, please subscribe and share with somebody that you think it will be meaningful to.